abundant life. It is wonderful to be with you again. Uh, my name is Mike, and uh, one thing you probably don't know about me is that I majored in philosophy at Pepperdine University, greatest university on the planet, founded by Solomon. You can look it up. And, and the reason why I majored in philosophy is because I didn't realize that you need, um, what are they called? Skills, actually monetizable, you know, specific skills. So, so I majored in philosophy and I learned a few things. And, and one of these things I'm gonna share with you today, and that is the word arete. It's a Greek word and arete is the ancient Greek word for excellence. This is the pinnacle. This is the highest state that anything can achieve. So for example, a chair that wobbles lacks arete. Or a, a wristwatch that is finely crafted, keeping perfect atomic time that you wear while piloting your private jet. That is an example of arete. And every single thing has it. Every single thing has what is most excellent about it. If you want to think of the show uh, or, or the uh, movie Best in Show about a dog competition, every single breed of dog has what is the arete, the pinnacle example of it. And in fact, dogs in general, think about in your mind, what is the pinnacle breed of dogginess in the world? What, what is the absolute best example of a dog? You're probably thinking right now of a French bulldog, right? I, I just want you to know, I would love to have a chubby, lazy French bulldog and name it Arete. But you understand this idea that the Greeks kept kicking around was this idea, this philosophy of excellence. And then along comes Jesus and he takes that philosophy and he turns it into a promise. You see, Jesus says this in John 10, 10. He says, my purpose is to give them a rich and a satisfying life. He says, I came that you might have abundant life. I came that you might have life and life to the full. And that is the promise, the invitation that Jesus initiates. Friends, I don't ever want you to forget that God himself is the one who designed life and he designed you. And he is the driver and the giver of all victory, of all excellence, of all success. In fact, in Deuteronomy, we read this. Remember the Lord your God, it says. He is the one who gives you power to be successful. So friends, I want you to understand that there is only one thing that stands between you and the abundant life that Jesus invites, you and the life of Arate. And that is this one thing that's preventing you from experiencing this full life is fear. And that's what we're talking about today. See, I don't know if you know this, but every single time God shows up to have an interaction with humans, every time he sends his angels and they have a conversation with a mere mortal, do you know how that conversation begins? It always starts with the same thing. It always starts with, don't be afraid. It always starts with, don't have fear. Like, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. And I don't know what angels actually look like, but they must look like the Incredible Hulk with fairy wings, because every single time they, they come and they start talking to a human, the human is quaking, and the angel starts by saying, hey, don't be afraid, here's a stool, sit down, take a breath. I have something good to tell you. And, and that's so interesting 
that it always begins, the message from God always begins with don't be afraid. In fact, roughly 365 times in the canon of scripture, God communicates this message. That's one for every day of the year. Friends, God really does not want his children to live afraid. And why is that? Because he knows that what he wants for his children is for us to be confident and close with him, to be, to be bold as we engage this life, not to be cowering and fearful. He says this to Joshua. He says, this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You see, God knows that this is a mark of living the with God life, that we're able to engage the trials and challenges of this world with boldness, with confidence, with courage, because we're living with God. You see, this is God's plan for us. He, he knows that, that if we have fear, it will diminish our enjoyment and the positive impact that God wants us to have on those that we have influence upon. You see, fear wrecks our potential. Fear influences what will happen in the future because it causes us to shrink back in the now. I heard an interesting research project that was done. It was, it was on elementary school kids and it was about the impact that imagination had on behavior. And what they would do is they would bring in second graders into this room, really sterile antiseptic room. And there was just a table with an empty box on the table. And the instructor would explain to the child, now you know that your imagination cannot create things out of thin air. You know that it's not magic, right? And, and the child would say, yes, yes, I understand how the imagination works. And so the instructor would put a lid on the box and say, now I want you to imagine that this box is filled with cookies. And the child would do that. And then there was some follow-up questions. What kinds of cookies do you imagine this box contains? Are they frosted? Are they chocolate chip? How do they taste? Are they delicious? How many cookies are in this box? And the child would answer all those questions. And then the instructor would say, oh, I have to step out for a moment and would leave the child alone in the room with the box with the lid on it. Now, there were another group of children as well that would come in, and they were also asked an imagination exercise, but instead of cookies, they were challenged to imagine that the box was filled with snakes. And they were asked follow-up questions as well. What kinds of snakes are they? How many snakes are in the box? Are they poisonous snakes? And the instructor would say, oh, I need to step out, and would leave the, the child alone in the room with the box with the lid on it. Now, here's what's interesting. Every child who imagined the box was filled with snakes when they were left alone would creep as far away from the box as they possibly could. Conversely, every child that imagined that the box was filled with cookies would slowly make their way to the box and take the lid off just to see if they had imagined something to become real. And when they took the lid off, you know what they discovered? Snakes, no, no, nothing. Uh, the box was empty, just like most of our fears. You see, the point is this, that our fears, even imagined fears, have a powerful negative impact on the way that we live. 
our thoughts actually move us in a direction. Hopeful imagination is what propels us forward, but fearful thinking is what causes us to shrink back. Hope causes us to rise, but fear causes us to withdraw. And so God shows up again and again and again, 365 times in scripture with the message, don't be afraid because the spirit of fear is not what he wants us living in. In fact, I want you to think about the scriptures for a moment. Think about the first time that fear shows up on the scene. You see, fear shows up in conjunction with sin. You see, it was Adam and Eve and the conjunction of their sin that ushered fear into the world. And so we see them covering themselves and hiding from God because they were ashamed and afraid. I really want you to memorize this verse. This is 2 Timothy 1.7. It says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You might just look at that first part of the, the verse. God has not given us a spirit of fear. So whenever we experience fear, we can be assured that that is not coming from God. Frederick Buechner says this. He says, one life on this earth is all that we get. And the obvious conclusion would seem to be that at the very least we are fools if we do not live it as fully and bravely and beautifully as we can. And so that's what we're talking about today. And, and, and we're talking about how to step through our fear with God. So the first step, if you're taking notes or paying attention today, is that naming your fear turns the lights on. Naming your fear turns the light on. You see, most of us, we don't actually have specific fears that we're examining. We live under what's sort of an anxiety cloud. It's, it's this general fog of, of fear and discouragement and unease that, that sort of resides above us. But what we need to do is we need to grab that specific fear and pin it to the board so that we can understand what it is that we are actually afraid of. And here's what we find. We find that legitimate fears are incredibly rare. When I was growing up, my dad was in the Marine Corps. He was one of those barrel-chested, dismember you 10 ways with his little pinky kind of a guy. Uh, he's quite a bit older now, and that barrel has descended from his chest to his waistline. He's more teddy bear than Rambo. Uh, but I remember him being incredibly intimidating growing up. And yet he was also a whole lot of fun to have around. So we would play catch and we would wrestle often when he was not shipped out on deployment. And one day when he arrived home late in the afternoon, I decided that I was gonna start a game of hide and seek without him. So I had found the perfect hiding place in our garage. See, our garage looked like a junkyard inside an antique store inside a junkyard. I mean, we had stuff piled everywhere. There was love seats and furnitures and hanging bikes and tools everywhere and a big stack of John Denver vinyls. And I had found the perfect hiding place in an empty cupboard in the back corner, just sort of behind the love seat. I knew he would never find me there. So when I heard his car come in the driveway and I could hear him come in the front door, I yelled from the garage, dad, I'm hiding in the garage, come and find me. And I scurried into my cupboard and shut the door. And I just waited, you know, with glee. Well, I heard the garage door swing open and then the light clicked off and the garage door closed. And I realized my dad didn't understand that the game was already in motion. He had sort of looked for me, not found me and left and, and now I am trapped in a suddenly terrifying black pit. 
pit of a garage and, and my heart starts pounding and I start sweating and I'm thinking, he's gotta come back, he's gotta come back. I waited for like, you know, 30 whole seconds. And then I realized, no, he's not coming. And so I slowly slid the cupboard open and I started to get out and I just wasn't even making a single noise. I wasn't even breathing. But my fearful imagination imagined I could hear somebody else breathing in the garage. Now, friends, just for context, this is the period of time when a man known as the Night Stalker was terrorizing Southern California, where I lived. He had actually visited the town of Mission Viejo, where our home was, and I realized in that moment that the Night Stalker was in the garage hiding with me. You see, this, this was a real fear. My brother, my sister, and I, we all slept in the same bedroom because we thought that made us safer, but to a serial killer, that's like jackpot. Uh, we didn't realize that. And so all of a sudden, I realized that I have to make it to safety. And that was the light underneath the garage door. And I took a deep breath. And friends, I just plunged into the garage and I, I fell over the top of a love seat and I hit my head on a hanging bike and I barked my shin on a toolbox, but I finally made it to the door and I opened it up. My body flooded with light. I was safe. And as I turned back into the darkness of the garage, boom! My dad leapt out of the darkness and terrified me. I am still in therapy today. Roosevelt says this. He says that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. But apparently Roosevelt didn't have a dad in the military who terrified him in a dark garage. You see, sometimes there actually is something to fear. Sometimes that thing that you're afraid of does happen, but almost all the time it's your dad punking you and not the serial killer. You see, even when there's something legitimate that causes pain, alarm, or concern, you don't need to remain in fear because you never walk alone. I wanna point you to a passage of scripture so famous that it's famously forgotten. Psalm 23 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Friends, God is with you. God is for you. No matter how the world might rage around us, no matter how dark this valley of the shadow of death might become, remember that if God is for us, who can be against us? So naming our fears like turning the light on. Think about it for a moment. If, if the light was on in the garage and I could see my dad squatting there by the laundry, it would have been comical, not fearful. And so we have to name our fears, turn the light on and watch that anxiety evaporate like fog when the sun comes out. The second thing we need to do is rename our fear as opportunity. Rename our fear as opportunity. In other words, this isn't afraid, this is a challenge. Are you afraid of failing in adventure? Instead, rename it as education. I've got a friend who says all the time, he says, I, I never lose. He says, I either win or I learn. That's renaming it as opportunity. I don't know if you ever played the game shoots and ladders growing up, but the idea is you hit the spinner and then you move your, your, you know, your man along the spaces. And if you land on a space with a chute, well, you descend and go backwards. If you land on a, on a space with a ladder, you climb and go forward. And I have come to realize that this is a really accurate metaphor for life. There's no spinner, actually. It's every single square that we land on, we have an opportunity to either go down the chute of self-pity and fear and descend, 
or to climb this ladder of opportunity and look at what God might have in front of us. You see, we can either remain on the dance floor with all of its lights and noise and crowds and we don't understand what's going on, or we can climb up on the balcony and survey what's actually happening in our lives. Brian Tracy says, the key to success is to focus our conscious mind on things we desire, not things we fear. And so once we climb up on the balcony, we see all sorts of opportunities open up. God's literally able to download fresh ideas into our mind, all sorts of revealing solutions before where all we had seen were barriers. For example, I heard a story of an elderly man and he was very close with his son, Terrence. And so he would write his son letters all the time. And the reason he would write his son, Terrence, is because Terrence happened to be uh, doing a stint in prison. And so one spring day, the father wrote his son a letter and he said, Terrence, I love you so much. He said, I really miss you this springtime. I was looking forward to planting some tomatoes in the backyard like we used to do together, but I'm getting too old to cultivate the earth. He sent that letter off. A few days later, he gets a letter back from Terrence and it's very urgent and short. It says, dad, whatever you do, don't dig in the backyard. That's where the bodies are buried. And so this kind old man sat on that letter for about half a day, but then he realized he had to go to the police. So he, he goes to the police and he gives them the letter and they descend in droves. They bring dogs, they bring pickaxes, they bring backhoes. They, they search every inch of that backyard. They find nothing. A few days later, the dad gets another letter from Terrence and this one's written in a much more relaxed tone. It says, dad, I'm really sorry about lying to you. He said, there were no bodies in the backyard. But now that the backyard is cultivated, go ahead and plant your tomatoes. <laughs> you see, he had found a, a creative way to help his dad with his gardening. And, and I want you to understand that that creativity can only come when we get a little bit removed from the situation that we're in. When we get up above the circumstances that we're surrounded by and allow ourselves to be open to the creativity that flows from God but that's not possible when we're imprisoned by our fears. Can I tell you a couple of biblical examples of this? Gideon would be a great example of this. You know, Gideon was fearful from the beginning. He did not want to lead anybody into war and certainly he didn't wanna lead them into battle when, when God had winnowed his army down to 300. But yet he chose to rename this as an opportunity to watch God show up. And the creativity with which he trusted God resulted in a miraculous victory. In 2 Chronicles 20, we see King Jehoshaphat in a very similar situation. He realized that there were three armies advancing against them and, and, and there was incredible amount of fear. But they listened to the Spirit of God shift their perspective. You might remember these words. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged by this mighty army for the battle is not yours, but God's. How beautiful is that? The battle's not yours, but God's. And do you remember what they were told to do? They, they were to march out the next morning, the entire army, but no one was to draw their swords. In fact, they were gonna be led by the choir worshiping. The entire army was going to be led by the choir singing out in front. To my mind, that's what you do when you're tired of your choir and you're ready to get a new one. 
But, but because they listened to God, because they renamed this as an opportunity to watch God show up, God did the miraculous and they never had to draw their swords. You see, he was with them and his strong arm was available to care for his people. The next thing we need to do is we need to release our anxiety to Jesus. Release our anxiety to the Lord. And friends, this is through actual prayer where we say something very similar to, Jesus, I release my anxiety around this situation to you. What I do is I actually visualize it. I visualize going to the cross with these buckets filled with anxiety or fear or trepidation. And I walk to the foot of the cross and I set those buckets down. And I say, Jesus, I'm leaving these here with you. I know that I can walk in boldness with you because you have taken care of this situation. You see, our our relationship with Jesus is what gives us the confidence to leave our anxieties with him. It's his outlandish love, like we talked about last week, which fills us with hope and courage. The scripture says this in 1 John 4, 18, perfect love expels all fear. And so with Christ's perfect love wrapped around me, it matters less and less what other people think. It matters less and less what I hope the outcomes might be. All the love I need is available to me right now. And this drives out fear. The scripture also says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Go an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. The war break out against me, even then I will be confident. Wow. It's because of the presence of God and the love of God with me. And once you release your anxiety to Jesus, you are ready to, number four, vault through your challenge. You're ready to tackle what it is that you fear. You know, living in fear is a kind of death. So that means that stepping through your fear is exhilarating. It's a type of resurrection. Stepping through your fear is what destroys it. And on the other side of your fear is where we experience full life. Heart pounding, chills inducing life. Clement Stone says this, that thinking will not overcome fear, but action will. You know, I'm a child of the 80s, greatest decade ever. And so for this analogy, I'm going to the pinnacle of cinematic excellence. That's right, I'm, I'm referring to the movie Karate Kid with Ralph Macchio as Daniel, Mr. Miyagi, wax on, wax off, you might be familiar. And there's this epic scene right before Daniel begins to start training with Mr. Miyagi, where Miyagi comes to Daniel and he says, Daniel, are you ready to begin the study of karate? And Daniel has his hand in his pocket. He's kind of slouched. And he says, yeah, I guess so. And Miyagi says, no, no, no. And he kind of kneels down in front of him. He says, Daniel, studying karate is like walking down the street. You walk right side of the road, okay. You walk left side of the road, okay. You walk middle of the road, like a grape. He said, studying karate is the same. You study karate, yes, okay. You study karate, no, okay. You study karate, guess so. Squish, like a grape. Isn't that brilliant? So awesome. Uh, For my Jedi friends, here's Yoda's take on it. There is no try. Do or do not. There is no try. 
What's incredibly interesting to me is that Jesus says almost exactly the same thing. In Revelation chapter three, verse 15, he says, I know what you've done, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot, but since you are lukewarm and not hot or cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. <laughs> so interesting. Starbucks serves 10,000 beverages and yet not one of them is served lukewarm, right? In other words, there's this understanding that the purgatory of mediocrity is the worst possible place you can be. That this middle ground is the most miserable place you can be. It's like living with one foot in one canoe and the other foot in another canoe, and they just keep drifting apart. When I was growing up, it was in Southern California and my buddies and I used to go cliff jumping in Three Arch Bay in Laguna Beach, California. And there were a few different places you could jump. There was a 10 foot cliff and there was a 30 foot cliff. But if you were really adventurous, you could swim out around the point and scale and you would have a 55 foot cliff that you could jump off of. But as you climb the rocks, you look down below and you could see that there were rocks at the base of the cliff. So you really had to jump off the top. And the problem was this, that there wasn't a whole lot of running room and the entire thing was covered with ice plant, which was very slippery. Well, one day my brother, Mark, was up there with his two buddies, Ando and Payson, and they were trying to get the nerve to jump. And finally, Ando steps back and he says, watch out, watch out, guys, I'm gonna go. And he begins to run towards the edge, but then loses his nerve. And so he puts on the brakes, he tries to stop, but he doesn't stop. His feet slip out from underneath him and he skids across the top of the ice plant. He's literally immobile and he's going closer and closer. His feet go over the edge of the cliff and my brother and Payson jump down on him and they grab him and they pull him up. And you're hearing that story and you go, oh my goodness, that sounds so dangerous. Why would anybody do that? Oh, friends, here's why. Because if you could screw your courage to the sticking place, if you could really muster the nerve to vault yourself, it was like holy adrenaline. It was like leaping into the majesty of creation. It was just this unimaginable glory and, and exhilaration, not to mention a world-class enema. I mean, that, it really would clean you out. But the point is this. Cliff jumping, yes, okay. Cliff jumping, no, okay. Cliff jumping, guess so? Squish, like a grape. And I want you to understand that when it comes to vaulting through your fear, it takes that all in perspective. And that's why we have to start by naming it. And we have to rename it as challenge. And then we have to release our anxiety to Jesus so that we can vault through our fear. And it brings us to the fifth and the final step. And that is this, that stepping through your fear today prepares you to conquer it tomorrow. Stepping through your fear now is what prepares you to conquer it the next time fear shows its head. It is the very best and the only preparation for conquering your fear tomorrow is by owning your victories today. Victory builds upon victory. And that's why in the scripture, there are so many commandments for us to remember how God was with us and, and how he walked with us into a victory, how, how he was with us and we overcame a challenge with his help, with his spirit that, that he said, grab a rock and build a memorial so that you will always remember how I showed up for you. 
And the reason why he says this is because we do forget. We forget again and again and again, and, and we, we face a fear like we're starting at ground zero. Friends, we're never starting at ground zero. You have experienced victory with the Lord so many times in your life. And those victories yesterday prepare us for the victories we face tomorrow. Now, the corollary is also true that avoiding your fear today means that you will avoid it again tomorrow. Max Lucado tells a great story. This is a legend out of India. And it's about a mouse who is terrified of cats. So he goes to a magician and the magician agrees to transform him into a cat, which takes care of his fear. Until, of course, he meets a dog. And so he goes back to the magician and the magician changes him into a dog and everything's fine until he meets a tiger. So he goes back to the magician. Again, the magician accommodates him, transforms him into a tiger. Everything is wonderful until the tiger meets a hunter. And at this point, the magician refuses to help. He says to the mouse, turn cat, turn dog, turn tiger. He says, I will not turn you into a hunter. Instead, I will turn you back into a mouse because though you have the body of a tiger, you still have the heart of a mouse. Friends, why did he still have the heart of a mouse? Because instead of ever facing his fear, he sidestepped. And I want you to understand this is a powerful principle for our lives, that by sidestepping our fears, avoiding our fears, we will never build the muscles of courage by just stepping around. And, and I want you to understand that sometimes we do this as parents with our children, that we help them avoid a difficult situation, that we help them step around that thing that they fear. And we think we're being good parents. And I know it's coming from a good place. I'm a parent, I've got three kids. But I want you to understand the unintended consequences is that we're not allowing our children to grow the muscles of courage. We're not allowing our kids to build the muscles of boldness as they face their fears with the Lord and conquer them. That's what trains them to live a life of courage. Richie Norton says this, to escape fear, you have to go through it, not around it. Well, friends, as I close our time together today, I just want to tell you this. Last week, we talked about outlandish love. And today we're talking about courageous living. And I bring these two topics to you, Abundant Life, because I want you to understand this, that what I believe the world needs right now, more than maybe it ever has before, at least in my lifetime, is we need followers of Jesus to walk boldly in this life. We need followers of Jesus to walk lovingly in this life and courageously in this life and to be such shining examples of outlandish love and courageous living that the entire culture looks and sees this example. Oh, that's what freedom looks like. That's what abundance looks like. That's what full life looks like. And it's so attractive. Friends, the entire world is desperate for a picture of that. So I would just encourage you would you seriously take some consideration around living outlandishly loving and living courageously in your life? Would you just trust the Lord and live boldly with him today? Live boldly with him as you, as you engage your family. Live boldly with him as you engage your workspaces. Live boldly with him as you engage as just a citizen in this world God has placed you in. 
Live boldly because the world is so hungry to see that example. It's a part of what living life to the full looks like. So I'm just gonna ask Jesus for his help right now. And as I do, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes and and pray with me. But I'm gonna begin by reading Psalm 121 over you. So with your eyes closed, just receive these words. The Lord watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon at night. The Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and go, both now and forever. And dear God, with these words just echoing in our mind, we wanna say that we declare you are with us and you are for us. Why should we be afraid? Dear God, we we declare that we are your beloved sons and daughters. Of whom shall we be afraid? We just recognize that we are more than conquerors in you. So we choose by the power of your Holy Spirit within us to walk boldly today. No matter what's going on around us, even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will not fear because we attest that you are with us that we are walking with you, that we are literally literally holding your hand, that we are so close because we recognize, Jesus, that you are the source of our hope, you are the source of our strength, you are the source of our courage. And so we choose to walk joyfully with you today. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.